Hello and welcome to another episode of Fiction Hack, where we attempt to unlock a deeper meaning in modern story. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm Colin Monroe. I'm Ross Lawhead. So, we're still in November, which is NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm. It's yep. been a busy month. It has. Uh, so how, is, how, how are you doing with your NaNoWriMo challenge? I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. Um. <laughs> I'm sure, but that's kind of, that's like everyone probably thinks the same thing. Well, most people, uh, don't they? I doubt it. Uh, not, I wouldn't say everyone. Um, so yeah, today was always, I mean, sorry, today, this month was always going to be a bit touch and go because um, mm. uh, my, my wife happens to be uh, quite pregnant um, <laughs> So yeah. we're expecting like kind of any day now and uh, just with preparations and everything. And then another child that we have to look after. Um, I basically haven't written anything nano wise in about 10 days. Okay. So I'm yeah, quite far uh, behind on my word counts. Um, I yeah, managed to get up count. to, it hurt <laughs> a lot. I got up to 18,000 um, in the first uh, two weeks, which is quite that's good. That's pretty good going. Is that yeah, on pace? So that's a that's, good is chunk. That, is that, well, mm-hmm. that's a way, way ahead of pace, right? No, that's about that's about what you want because you're you're aiming yeah. for fifty thousand um, yeah, by the end. So it's it would, uh, you know, I was flagging a little bit. The first few days, I I was uh, it was a corker because yeah, I was able to keep on top of things. I was getting about two thousand words a day per average, which is great. Um, but you know, like I was saying at the beginning of this, it's you're not. I still don't see it as failing just because you don't complete no. the fifty thousand words. Like no, that's still so a long way on, on the down the road on that book. So um, I'm still pleased. I'm still going to keep up with it. Um, see how much we can get done um, next month. But uh, yeah, between one thing or another, uh, yeah, um, I'm not yeah. not saying. But the course. You, you know the expression: "It's not winning; it's taking part." Well, in yeah. most things, in most things, that's actually not true. Like in most sports and games and things, you know, it is uh-huh. winning is important, right? Yeah, but. In NaNoWriMo, it really is true, I think. I think just in life stuff, it's mostly true. You know, just taking part in, you know, whatever it is you're doing. Uh, you don't have to be, you know, the best father or you don't have to be the best in your work. You know, you just have to do it. That's what your employers are paying for. That's what, you know, people need. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, no, I, I completely agree. All the important things in life, the things that aren't sport, basically. Um, yeah, it is the taking part, not the winning. What's that expression? Somebody said something like... Um, uh, something like success. Ninety percent of success is just turning up. Yeah, so I can't remember um, who that probably. was. Something, something yeah. like that. You're full uh, of expressions today. Um, I thought yeah, you were going to do the. Yeah, what was it? Um, genius is ninety-nine percent perspiration, one percent inspiration, and one percent attention to detail. That's my favorite. <laughs> one. Yeah. Is that uh, Yogi Bear? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's uh, I think it's for Modern Family, actually. My favorite uh, Yogi Berra one is um, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> yeah, which is actually yeah. quite profound if you think about it. You know, there's there's no point just kind of. Well, yeah, it's like there's no point just sitting there procrastinating, thinking and trying to exactly. figure out which way. Yeah, I guess. There, it's there's funny. one that he did. Like, a lot of his like seems stupid at the first, and then it's like yeah, but the, so the one that's actually quite profound uh, that. I keep coming back to, which I found out isn't, I don't think it is actually Yoga Bear now that I come to think of it. I think I did some research into this. I'll put it in the show notes, um, whichever one I I find the most research on. But it's, um, let's see, in theory, theory and practice are the same thing. But in practice, they aren't. 
yeah yeah <laughs> which is which is one. very I deep i i come back to that a lot of, a lot of the time um and i think it's a, actually a good one for writing as well because you know again you get all these kind of writing theory books and you know everybody's you know all the critics have got theories about stuff yeah um but in practice and i think this is what we're getting at with uh the um the episode we did on act structure in in particular is like there's so much theory about act structure yeah very little of it has actually been done by someone who's written a book or a play or something like that mm-hmm. there's a little bit that has been yeah i'm, I'm not going to go to the wall on that one but yeah. uh yeah it i think generally speaking the the practice of writing is different to the theory of writing which mm. i mean hey we've got a, a writing theory podcast so um now, now i don't even know what we're doing here anymore but um this we'll is carry a writing on regardless. theory podcast. That's how you see this. This isn't a writing. Some of these, I, I see. I see that we have writing theory episodes, and then we have yeah. kind of yeah, cultural it's, episodes it's or a, whatever. We're unlocking a deeper understanding of the modern story. And for yeah, my some point, of that's going to be theory. Concerned, that's that's as much like just enjoying watching movies and enjoying reading reading books and and things True. as it is about writing and creating them. I mean, that's your point of view. Okay, no, fair, fair, point, fair it point. It doesn't have to be my, my point of view or the audience's point of view. No, I, I agree with that. I think I, I think I was just locked in too much into this month about you know yeah. the actual writing uh, in practice kind of thing. Um, because, and I'm, I'm down too hard on theory too. as well because you do need theory also. Theory does help. Um, I, I, shouldn't, mm. I shouldn't say anything, I guess. I should just sit here quietly and let you talk. <laughs> that would be a very uh, boring podcast. So... Uh, this is not going to be a boring podcast this is going to be no. a fantastic episode um, so yeah we're wrapping up on the um, <laughs> you know what I was thinking the other day like how much of just me talking naturally sounds like a cut <laughs> like there's just so many times where I'll just barrel into another topic uh, without even taking a breath and it totally sounds like it's been cut from some other or something's been removed from anyway sorry okay so <laughs> what we're talking about this week is we're doing a final NaNoWriMo episode. Yeah. And um, I think, I mean, it's a good topic. Uh, I, I asked around a few people uh, what kind of topics you know we should cover for NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them that a couple of people said was uh, character versus plot or character and plot or, you know, what you know, a mixture of those two. And uh, I think it's a very good one. It's, it's going to come way too late to help anybody with their final word count. Um, but, you know, they're, they're well, beyond you know, my help now I'm, anyway. I'm hoping, look, a lot of people will, will listen to this back catalog of episodes next yeah. year. <clears> in the, preparation for, for it. The, in preparation for it. So For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone remember to come back next November or next October yeah. when you're preparing, preparing for NaNoWriMo mm-hmm. uh, and listen to this stuff. Maybe we'll, there'll be some more stuff in the meantime that's also yeah. equally useful so yeah we'll hope yeah all that theory stuff that you're so keen about so <laughs> um yeah so i mean we can just barrel right in if you like um yeah. the doing doing the the research i've done on this there's really no kind of um okay so i always approach something from like a historical point of view and i, I always want to try to think linearly about uh, a lot of these kind of developments because in the most part um or at least half the time you you can if you were, we, we were talking about um the you know horror genre in the our halloween episode uh in particular the universal horror movies and we you know mm. we were talking about well this is the first horror movie and then you know this is the first one with sound and this is the first one to do this and this is the first one to do all that um with uh something like character and plot you can't really do that um and I think it's only recently that people have come to understand a tension between those two 
ideas, really. And I, I say recently, and I'm still talking about in the last two or three hundred years. Um, but you know, looking back at sort of Greek tragedy and um, even you know, sort of Shakespeare plays and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really say, well, you know, mankind started out with the idea of, you know, plot-based drama first, and then they kind of developed character-based drama. Um, There are a few caveats on that, and we will discuss those. But, yeah, by and large, this is kind of how I keep trying to come back to my writing as well, Um, and maybe we should just kind of flesh out what we mean by a character and what we mean by um, kind of plot based uh drama yeah let's start but, with that because i think yeah we could make sure we're all on the same page i mean it's they're quite self-explanatory there right kind of yeah, pretty pretty much i think um so like if you've got a, a plot based drama then basically your character is going to be mostly reactive and a, a good example if you if you want to look at that kind of model um is looking at an action movie i think um if you look at something like james bond um James Bond is almost completely reactive character. There, there's very little he does that actually kind of uh, drives the story forward. There, are, of course, there are exceptions, but by and large, he gets an assignment from M. You know, go and do this thing, and so he goes into this place uh, to meet you know this person or, or whatever, um, and then you know he, he uncovers something, and then uh, you know stuff. You know, someone tries to kill him, and he escapes, and mm. you know, he, he tries to, he finds the thing, but then the thing gets, and then he gets captured, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, generally speaking, uh, he he doesn't influence a, a lot of events. Um, if we look at the other side of things, um, trying to really think, a character-driven drama um, may may look like. Um, I think generally plays modern modern plays are more character driven. So, uh, you know, if you look at you know Pinter or something like that, or um, I guess Arthur Miller is probably a better example. Um, maybe just because of the confines of what you're dealing with, you know, the physical limitations of it. You know, all the action kind of happens in front of you. Um, oh no, I've got a good example. Okay, so soap opera that would be character driven. Mm. So all of the things that happen in a soap opera, unless someone gets hit by a car, you know, that's going to be character driven. So it's you know yeah. even a bad soap opera like you know I'm carrying, you know my twins surrogate child for blah 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 blah. it's like well those are all um all the action is happening because one of the characters chose to do that they decided they are going to enact a certain kind of will um into influence their circumstances Mm -hmm. and surroundings and change them um so yeah you've got those two extremes um and what i do keep trying to come back to i think in, in my writing is to really try to find try to get those two together as close as you can, because I think that is, you know, mostly true in our lives, you know, as people. And as we we're talking about, you know, all throughout this is, you know, if uh, you're going to tell a story, you want that to be a true story. You want that to reflect life or you reflect a principle of life or how you want your life to be. And I think that, you know, as often as not, um, and, you know, it just changes at different times in our lives. You know, we change our own circumstances as much as our circumstances are changed for us. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess the short answer to character versus plot is yes, you know, just there, there I don't th- see a lot of uh, reason why you can't have uh, both, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, well, there have been times... Well, don't you need I mean, uh, it's not like do. the two are mutually exclusive, right? The two are mutually uh, beneficial. 
Like you need, I think you so. Need yeah, and it's not that um, you know a, a plot-based movie is going to have poor characters because you know James Bond is a very compelling character. Um, you know, even you know we mm. were talking, we talked in in depth about the movie Die Hard a few podcasts back, and you know we could we could look back at that as well. Um, there are a couple times where John McClane you know, does influence the story and that's good. You, you need that. Um, but then there are, you know, a lot of times he's just, you're reacting. And that's, that's yeah. what we were saying is that he's actually the antagonist, not the protagonist of that but story. But then one of the things we said about Die Hard um, <laughs> is that, and if you haven't listened to uh, everyone, then you really should go back and listen to our Die Hard episode. I think that was mm-hmm. one of our, that was a good one. Um, yeah. Is that, yeah, one of the things we said about that, one of the things that makes it such such a great movie is that everyone in that movie is is a really great character. They've thought about them. Every mm-hmm. no one's just a henchman, you know. Right. No, yeah. no one's like a two dimensional. Even even all even the the people that only have like one scene, there's something mm-hmm. about them that's that's funny or. You, yeah, they've you, got a backstory. You, they've got yeah, something that drives yeah. them. They've got yeah. an, an ambition. Um, even if, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and you can say if you're tr- you can say oh you know. The Chinese guy with the, trying taking the chocolate bar, and you know exactly who I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, everyone's this, yeah. So that was one of the things that's great about that movie, even though that didn't really add to the plot, but it is, mm-hmm. it did add to making it a, 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 the movie as good as it is. Yeah, no, completely. And uh, actually, I think we should. Um, well, I don't know. We can we can go two routes. We can go history, or we can go uh, current example. What what do you think, Colin? Um, let's go current example. Current example. Okay. So there's, um, I recently saw a movie that did character and plot very badly. And I recently saw a movie that did character and plot very, very well. Um, okay. so the, the one that was very bad, um, and I'm not sure if you've seen this, um, but it was the Fantastic Beasts number two, the crimes of Grindelwald, okay. uh, so have you seen I that? I know you've. I, I know. No, I. All I know is I've seen your tweet about it. Okay. And so I, I, I get the impression. I'm not gonna. Not, it's not, not gonna be a spoiler or anything okay. like that. And yeah, maybe, maybe we should do a whole episode on 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 that. I don't uh, think there's that much to say. And okay, actually, it's been not. kind of picked apart quite a lot. Um, a lot of people are having a go at it right now because the community is not really behind this movie, which mm. I, I think is, um, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but they, they just aren't. And it's, it's not a very good movie. Um, it's because the characters seem to just kind of do things for no reason and things happen to them for no reason. So, you know, already you've, you've got, you know, JK Rowling is trying to, you know, find this kind of balance between, you know, well, how do we make the characters actually, you know, make meaningful choices in the story and things not happen to them. But then also, you know, how do we just, you know, keep things just kind of moving along with people who don't really belong in the story anyway. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's just baffling to watch. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, the Fantastic Beast movie. That's just the one I saw most recently. But, you know, anyone can really kind of think of a, of a bad movie. And I think you'll find that there's this kind of, there is a dysfunction on, on one level or the other. There's a character, you know, the characters do things which just don't make any sense, you know. Um, in the Grindelwald one, there's, um, there's uh, one lady, Queenie, who's the blonde-haired uh, witch from the first one, the American one, who's in love with a muggle, who's in love with her as well. And when we first see them in this movie, she's got him under a love enchantment to uh, to marry her. This isn't a spoiler. This happens like in the first 20 minutes. Um, and then that gets removed. 
And then she runs off crying. And all throughout the movie, he's saying, well, I've got to get her back. Now, there's no reason for her to have put him under that love spell if he already loved her in the first place enough to never want to be away from her. That, that's just like a, a meaningless character thing that was done just so they could uh, come and find Newt Scamander, just so they could be in the story again, just so he could tag along on the adventure. And again, not for really, any, not really any purpose except that this guy was signed for a five picture deal and he has to be in these movies now. Um, mm. That's the muggle guy. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then you, you could just kind of keep going there. There's kind of, it's actually kind of light on plot because not a lot happens. Um, you know, things don't really kind of move along. There's, but then there is kind of a, a Deus Ex Machina kind of move, uh, moment. The Deus Ex Machina. Have we explained that before in the podcast? No. That's um, kind of the very old. Um, it wasn't always used how we use it now, but it, it's it does come from Greek tragedy. Um, the Deus Ex Machina is God from the machine. Mm. The machine that they're referring to is literally just a crane that you would tie an actor to with a, he's got a mask on that's, you know, Zeus or it's Athena or whoever. And then you actually lower them down onto the stage. And then they give kind of the final speech or the, the final kind of sum up of the tragedy that you've just seen what's happened. And then sometimes they'll give a judgment. And that's, that's what we remember now is, is the judgment. So it is the, right. um, it, it is the, the God device coming in to sort out all of the problems in the story. So, you know, again, it's a very, you know, old contrivance, but it's basically the author just saying, well, I've got a situation here that the characters can't re resolve. So I have to resolve it by some sort of fantastic means um, that are out that's outside of everybody's control. And it's a very unsatisfying ending because we all want to at least believe that we have control over our own actions and lives and the things that are happening to us and that we can find a resolution that's through our own strength and will. And it really bugs us when, you know, someone comes in and says, well, okay, you've got it wrong here's here's this here's how you know it all works um so that that happens at at the end uh, of this one i mean it isn't fully resolved because again you know it's it's a continuing story but yeah at one point one of the creatures uh, steals something that's very important but uh newt's commander hasn't told him to steal it and the bad guy doesn't even know that it's been stolen um after that point and so it's like well there you know who who's responsible for this creature having stolen this thing you know in order to you know kick off the next story it's like well nobody you know jk rowling was she just decided to have this happen so that you can, you can move things along mm -hmm. so okay i won't i won't i won't belabor that point too much but um the so hang on so in summary then you're yeah, saying that summary. is uh not in summary in, uh, just in, of that point mm -hmm. that the the plot so, so yeah what what are you saying in summary <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a bad movie it's a flawed movie and um again you know i'm not the only one who thinks so uh the, the they're on because the plot doesn't uh, make sense because characters the plot do doesn't make sense are, the characters don't make sense nothing nothing really makes sense and mm. you know when it comes to the point where you're thinking well you know i don't this character you know is making all these decisions for no reason then you get to the point where anything could happen, you know, and then it's not you, a surprise when anything you, does yeah. happen and you don't really anything care about it. Anything could happen and you just don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're just on the edge of, I think, you know, putting the, the viewers and the fan base in the position that, you know, all of us Star Wars fans were in at the end of The, the Last Jedi was, you know, are you going to keep them or not? You know, are they going to be behind you for the next one? Um, so it's it's kind of a dangerous ground to, to tread. And, you know, she's done it, you know, quite 
deliberately not deliberately made a bad movie but she's made a lot of very contentious decisions uh, to do with the the canon which is very valuable to any fan base you know mm -hmm. they don't want to be told that the thing that they cared about for years and years and years um doesn't mean anything anymore it doesn't exist anymore or you know and all that kind of stuff yeah. so we'll we'll see how that plays out um but yeah it's it's just kind of yeah it's really kind of a pig's ear um of, of a movie but um yeah then so and there's three more to come right Every, next <laughs> there's, there's at least three more to come yeah mm. um so we'll see and it's so dark as well i also know who this who these movies are for um because they've got like children you know infants like one-year-olds dying uh one of them gets uh zapped to death off like one second out of frame um you actually hear it happen and you see the child beforehand like i almost walked out at that point because that kid was really close to my kid's age and i can't mm. handle that stuff right now <laughs> um so yeah, I'm getting a little bit choked up, but you know, it is a lot of kind of unnecessary things. Plus also, um, the Grindelwald character is basically kind of a, I mean, I don't see any difference between him and Voldemort, quite frankly. I mean, people have explained to me that they're different characters, but they both have some mysterious past where they did some horrible thing that you're not supposed to know about. They both have these followers who, you know, want to be, they both want just the magic people to rule the world they both want to kill they I, I honestly don't see where one ends and one picks up mm. again uh, they just kind of see i fully expect one to change into the other but yeah um, i mean i i'm guessing like isn't it presumably it's meant for the people that sort of kind of were harry potter age when harry mm -hmm. potter first came out and so now they're like mid-20s it's, it's for them right <clears throat> I mean, I guess, but it's, it's, it's the, still it's not any... It's for the grown-up any... target audience of Harry Potter. Yeah, but I don't know why you wouldn't just try to do Harry Potter again. You know, make a fun all-ages adventure story with magic and whimsy that's all about, you know, friendship and support and magic and stuff. Yeah. Because the, the Harry Potter crowd would, is still obviously totally on board with that. That's what they loved about Harry Potter in the first place. And then you can appeal to the next generation as well. Um, to to meet to you know cut off you know the next generation of, of readers is really just yeah I mean cutting your nose off to spite your face really because it's like well you know you could you could have you know this moment where you know both generations watch it together and able to f share something magic instead mm -hmm. of one generation just saying well I'm not sure I you know I'm on board with this you know child killing you know people burning to death on screen version of harry potter you know i don't think anyone is clamoring for a, a grim and gritty harry potter you know i don't yeah. jk rowling seems determined to turn this into because cursed child was the same you know well harry potter mm. he's old he's disaffected he doesn't know how to be a father he's kind of depressed he's got a sad job everything's just sad <laughs> and I mean, the best parts of the the play is actually the the is the next generation that are young and hopeful and do have you know a better outlook on life. Um, but yeah, I don't know why she's. I mean, we. I mean, I think I do, and it's a it's a bad reason, but it's you know it's because we saw this with Star Wars and George Lucas, and you see it from any other thing that kind of gets popular beyond its creator's control is you get the creators trying to get some sort of agency back over their creations they're like you know well i can mess with the harry potter universe because i created everything and yeah. you know you have to deal with it <laughs> and it's like well that's not really uh, the generosity that you wrote these books in you know that wasn't and sometimes really... when there's so much fan speculation i feel like authors feel the need to to come up with something that the fans haven't thought of mm -hmm. to give to, to give it you know so that then <clears throat> 
come sometimes. The only, yeah, the, the only thing that uh, gives me kind of hope for the future of story and even hope for franchises, because I think you can do franchises well. And that this is actually going to be my, my second example of something done well, okay. uh, is the Marvel Universe. It's the Marvel <laughs> franchise, because they do invest so much in their characters. That doesn't mean that they're, they've, they've gone away from plot. Um, but, you know, you can look at Marvel. They're, what, excuse me, about uh, 19 movies in now. Um, mm. No, 20 with, with Ant-Man. I think it's 20. And they've, they've still, there's the, the fan base is still completely energized. You know, people love, you know, the, the movies, um, you know, people, I think agree, you know, Iron Man two wasn't so great. Ant-Man two wasn't so great, you know, it, but you know, there, there's still successes and nobody's turned off by Ant-Man not being so great, you know, cause they still, they're still keeping the spirit. They're still keeping people interested and they're still, you know, going through new territory, um, without th saying, well, we have to keep it grim and gritty. Well, we have to have a disaffected hero. Well, we have to do this. We have to do that. Um, they're, they're really kind of writing the rules for how to do it well. And so the, the movie I'd watched, um, when I, came home just because i got it for my birthday was uh infinity war and mm -hmm. uh listening to the commentary the uh directors and the writers are all very conscious that uh they had to connect the characters emotionally to what was going on um through throughout that movie at every point and of course it's a very difficult uh task because i think you've got 23 superheroes that are you know kind of featured in in the movie itself and not that's not including the the bad guys um and the secondary characters mm. um so it's a bit of a juggling act and of course a lot of the work has been done for them already in the movies before but the only reason they're able to do this movie is because you know those movies are so solid and because you know you've got three movies about captain america so you know who he is when he when he shows up and the reason for that is because you know who he is as a character you know what his emotions are you know what he loves what what drives him you know what he hates even if you don't rationally you know consciously know it you you have a feeling for the character um and so yeah i think you know I, i'm always impressed with um when you sit down to actually kind of break down and analyze the the movies um and especially you know we probably should have done this with our with our act one as well um but they spend a lot of time at the beginning just letting you get to know the character. Um, they will often have a little short action sequence in the beginning of the movie just to kind of let you know, basically, this is going to be an action movie. This is what you paid your money for. You're going yeah. to get it. But those action sequences are often then, very short. And yeah, yeah they, don't, they don't do much except to say, this is an action sequence. And then you've usually got about 20 minutes of, of just pure character before, you know, a, a a real conflict kind of gets introduced. Um, mm -hmm. I think about Black Panther and that. Um, uh, actually, you know, the first Avengers movie as well. I think it's uh, you know generally about an hour. You know, before um, the what people would consider kind of the actual one turning point. Just the the thing that kind of kicks off the the action uh, actually occurs because he's, you know J Joss Whedon he actually knows how to craft a story and he knows that you need to pick up all these characters on an emotional level. So he spends mm -hmm. a lot of time with Iron Man. He spends a lot of time with Bruce Banner. He spends time with Black Widow. He spends time with you know every main character that's going to be in that movie. Uh, he has spent time you know letting the audience you know get to know them you know pick them up where they are and then show them how they interact with each other and then you once you've done all that groundwork show them, show a then you can get the action in their normal in their normal life before yeah. the 
before the conflict or whatever. Yeah, and by contrast, we don't get any of that in the Fantastic Beasts one, for instance. Um, you know, mm. and they've got. I, I've always been baffled by why they chose to use that as a hook for their franchise, the Fantastic Beasts thing, because surely this, you know, this Newt's commander guy has, you know explicitly stated that he doesn't care about what happens politically or you know in the wizarding world he only cares about the animals but mm. you know for some reason he gets you know roped into you know the political thing and it's not even for a good reason because it's not even like he's good at it it's not like he's been trained in any of this stuff um he's just good with the animals um and, you know i always think that you know nicholas flamel the the philosopher who did the philosopher's stone um, mm. would have been a, a better kind of central character for, for all these but i don't know maybe it's a branding thing maybe that's the you know because that book had been out um they yeah. felt like they had to pick a book um I otherwise the, it was quidditch yeah, through Fantastic the ages but... was such a kind of known sub brand within the brand within the the saga i originally the original yeah. saga i suppose so i guess i don't know you know but it, yeah. yeah but, but it's but, more like the book itself is more like an encyclopedia, isn't it? You can't make that into yeah. a movie. So. Well, you know, it's done for comic relief. Like, did you, did you ever buy yeah. that? Yeah, yeah I, I bought it as well. No, but, I um, yeah, I see, I've seen it. Yeah, you've but seen now it, yeah. they've done a, they've redone a new one, I think, which is um, mm -hmm. with more illustrations, more more detailed illustrations and things. Yeah, so yeah, probably conceptual art from the uh, movies and stuff. Mm. So yeah, uh, so I yeah I I don't know. Uh, it's, I think it's interesting to I think I'm trying to when we discuss these principles more kind of examine them as they work in the wild as it were you know just what mm. what, are, what is out there and how, how is this coming into play but um yeah so i think um because it does it does seem to be a pendulum that swings back and forth and i think movies in hollywood has always wanted more of a plot driven kind of story uh w without so much character i think sometimes because character is a little hard to put your finger on mm. um i think also because um okay well this is where we can get into the historical thing a little bit but uh i think the, they've also really kind of uh tied their ship to this idea of the hero's journey uh which uh, is i want to state it's a theory it's not a principle um it's uh, something that this guy joseph campbell was working on in the uh 20s and 30s uh, you know he was examining all of these myths from all over the world and trying to find uh, commonality between them mm. and i really balk at his methodology uh, in a lot of respects uh, i think I, I don't really know how he is thought of in academic circles but he has had a, this kind of um you know back end of popularity because of People like George Lucas, who said, yeah, yeah. I, I read Joseph Campbell's book and I wrote Star Wars. Well, I, and think, it was a huge hit. I think that's one of the things that's brought him so so much into the public eye is that, yeah. that George Lucas has been open about how that inspired him. And then there's another Wars guy and, called yeah. Chris Vogler who, um, you know, on the back of the Star Wars stuff, did interviews with him that were on TV. I think they were you know, quite popular at the time. Um, and then Chris Vogler went to work for Disney <clears throat> and he wrote something called the... I think it's just the Disney memo. And he basically said, well, here's how you make a really popular cartoon, basically. And mm -hmm. he basically just you know, broke down the hero's journey. He simplified it a little bit and said, you know, throw in a, a talking sidekick and this is your story. And then for, you know, since I think it was he did that for The Lion King. And then it took Disney a long time to kind of get out of that again. And so that's why, you mm -hmm. know, everything off the Lion from The Lion King on has pretty much got the same plot. Um you know, with, with Pocahontas and Mulan and, you know, 
even I think up to Tangled, you know, you've got the well, the Lion King the funny is sidekicks. very it's like an allegory of ha- the ha- Hamlet storyline, isn't it? It's yeah, it has a lot of the elements from Hamlet, which is kind of you know again, I, I think this feeds into the contradictory nature of what he was trying to do, is that even the Lion King doesn't really stick to what he bullet pointed. You know, you can match mm. it up, but the but it's missing some pre- some pretty key elements. Um, so yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. You know it. it I, I wouldn't say it, it is a, a retelling of Hamlet. It just uses a lot of the same elements um, and, and kind of the same setup as yeah. well. But um, yeah, in any case, so I mean, so, but okay, to, to go back to Joseph Campbell, which where this started. So he, he explicitly set out to find this thing, uh, this monomyth, he called it, you know, the one story that all these stories are trying to tell. And then he mm-hmm. claims that he found it. And he, you know, wrote this book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces that basically goes through all these points. And so the first one, uh, first point is called The Refusal of the Call. So, you know, your hero, here's the call to adventure, but he decides he, you know, he's not up to it or he doesn't want to do it. It's too hard. It's too, too complicated. Um, he'd rather stay at home. And so he refuses the call. Mm-hmm. And then you have... Um, the you know the, the next one sorry first one is call to adventure second one is refusal to call next one is the crossing of the first threshold so the hero decides he is going to actually you know listen to the call and he is going to go out on this this quest and then he meets a mentor that's one of the plots um and then it, it carries on and then there's uh, the belly of the beast you know this is when the things get worse you know this is when you know it's like jonah in the belly of the mm-hmm, whale mm-hmm. you know um and you know people say well this is like the the part part in star wars where they're in the trash compactor that's the belly of the beast you know they are they're literally in the belly of the the death star which is where all this stuff is kind of you know digested and you know this is where they're furthest away from uh, completing their quest yeah um and you know star wars matches up because star wars was written to reflect this formula and it's not that it's um it doesn't work it's just that it tells you only a specific type of story the story that joseph campbell wants you to know which is a very uh, humanist type of story which I think a lot of people are on board with anyway, which is all basically about self-realization, self-actualization. It's about overcoming all of the obstacles of the world and changing the world uh, by asserting your own, the hero's will uh, on on the world. So, you know, the, the hero goes on this quest because he decides he's going to go on this quest and then he is able to get the, the cup of great price. You know, he's able to, to come back with the riches, with the knowledge, which, with whatever he wants. Um, and, you know, it sounds convincing and, you know, people have, have gone through and, you know, in the same way we were talking about act structure in saying, well, what is the act one turning point in a movie like Star Wars? You know, is it when Luke's parents die? Is it when he meets Obi-Wan Kenobi? Is it when he meets R2-D2? Is it when he mm. sees the princess? Is it when he meets Han Solo? Is it when they mm. leave Tatooine? You know, all of these could be act one turning points. In the same way, yeah. you know, uh, you can you can backwards, um, uh, not engineer, but you can reflect back on on any of these things i've even had people kind of who i've argued with say oh yeah well you know i I would say well look you know in this book slash movie the hero clearly doesn't refuse the call so obviously that's not something that has to be in every story and they say oh no Mm. it's a it's an inversion it's a subversion of of your expectations so it's still there it's just the opposite 
I'm like, well, that doesn't that's that doesn't make any sense at all. It's like, you know, well, the whole Lord of the Rings thing, it's not about, you know, finding something or, or gaining something. It's about destroying power. You know, it's about getting rid of power. It's, you know, power isn't mm. something that you want for yourself. So, oh, yeah, well, it's an inversion. It's a subversion. Like, no, this is just a different story. So, I yeah, if, if I was to write a book, I'd call it the, the thousand heroes with a thousand faces because I think that's <laughs> that's more accurate to, to what we're kind as of dealing a, with. That's a rebuttal. Hmm. Exactly. But, okay, I bring that up to say that um, I think this is a, a point. We, we can trace uh, Hollywood's fascination with having plot-driven stories back to Joseph Campbell in saying that, well, you know, there there isn't really anything like a, a different character. There is only one character in all of these stories, in all of these you know myths. There's only one character. And so everything that is different is just plot different, you know. So you gotta focus on the plot, or you gotta focus on the bad guy. But the hero is always the hero, and the hero is never gonna change. Um, and I think that's a fallacy. And you know, mm. it's even uh, you know, reading uh, *Hero with a Thousand Faces*, um, he, he can never find. He is. He does not provide a single story that covers all of his points. He will only provide a story that will cover maybe two or three that he's talking about. Um, there, there's never one story which which does everything. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm as you can tell. Not even Star Wars. Just my Star Wars was. Uh, was oh, no, Star, Star Wars his... does. Right, because that no, was exactly. to his yeah. formula kind of thing. Yeah, but in his book himself, yeah. yeah, he's 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 looking at all these myths. You know, there's no yeah. world myth that right that he refers to in the book that encapsulates yeah. every point of his. Um, he's he's always got to find little bits and pieces. So, like I say, you know, I keep using this analogy, but he's he's stitched together this kind of Frankenstein monster of a story, um, just using bits and pieces of other stories that he's found, and you know, now he's trying to make it do his bidding, and the story's angry. So that that's why I think you know. Uh, that plot thing. Now you've got another track as well, which comes from uh, books and literature, uh, which is that they often um, they've kind of gone the other way, and they've uh, the the trap to fall into those uh, modern, day, especially with the kind of you know the high literature stuff, the stuff that wins like the the you know the Booker prizes or the um, you know whatever you know Nobel prize or whatever's going on. Um, they focus so much on character, um, and often you know not much else happens. Um, and you know a lot of times these can be you know well well written, but um, that that all kind of stems from a book that was written in France by a man called Stendhal, uh, mm -hmm. called the Le Rouge et le Noir, which is the red and the black. Um, and I read this recently, and it's. Um, it is so much, it's like a kind of interior monologue of a, of a character's head. It's not first person, but it is so far in this, this character, Julien, uh, his, his mindset. You hear almost every thought that he thinks about something. Um, and it is just relentless. Uh, mm -hmm. It just, you know, he's, plus he's an unpleasant person. So it, it set a, a strange precedent in a lot of ways, um, a bad precedent in most ways. Um, because the first book that you've got, which is, you know, very much uh, a psychological story it's not a psychological thriller but it is a, you know psychological inside this person's head psychological drama um this person is a womanizer um he you know only wants success and i think it was probably written as a kind of cautionary tale as kind of like well you know here's an unpleasant person let's let's really examine what and what makes an unpleasant person unpleasant um and then a lot of other writers um mostly you know at that time french because it was written in french um to use that as an excuse to examine you know well you know i can be unpleasant too and it started this uh, mm -hmm. movement um 
of uh, naturalist uh, literature, which uh, Emile Zola uh, was the one I was exposed to most in school. Uh, Therese Racan was was just awful. And it's all about kind of, well, I think actually a good example of it is um, Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky. Uh, again, it's very much in Raskolnikov's head. You know, you hear his thoughts, you know what he's thinking. Um, mm-hmm. But it, with Dostoevsky, Although it is unpleasant, because I think probably it is unpleasant, and you know a lot of people, and he's chosen somebody who is an unpleasant person, someone who has committed this crime, which I won't spoil for you what it is, um, and he's taken this person who is unpleasant, who is you know a wretch, you know he's wretched, and he, you know he's on this kind of downwards track. Um, but with Dostoevsky, it's all about well, you know, in your brokenness, you do find completion, and there is a grace. Um, and a higher power that breaks through into that. So the book ends in a very different place, but it's also a very logical place because it's been reasoned out for you, you know, all the way through that this is the only way this story could end. Um, and it's, again, I would hold that up as a very true story. Whereas uh, Therese Rakan, I, I think, is not a true story. Um, despite all its unpleasantness, um, that's that's kind of what, what makes it false. But, um, yeah. Mm. So, but then, you know, even... Um, <clears throat> So one of the writers I like to read is G.K. Chesterton, and he he was a literary critic uh, as well as a writer um, and artist. And uh, yeah, a lot of the books that he was kind of discussing and the people that he was debating with around his time were these people who who wanted to focus on just you know just the the, the consciousness and the psyche and the ego of the character and you know what's in their heads and can we can we understand a human? Which makes sense at the at the time, you know, all of this kind of stemmed from. Uh, you know, a growing awareness of psychology as well. We had Freud and Jung uh, starting to take kind of notice. I think they took a lot of their cues from uh, literature. Um, I know that Jung, you know, really dove deep into the whole kind of mythology and, you know, uh, look, looking at myth as an allegory for human thought. And uh, yeah, so a lot of uh, psychoanalytics came out of the, this this movement of, you know, what is it in in our heads um so what is a character you know who are we so yeah so you've got those those kind of two things kind of parting ways in, in different uh media forms which you know books are, are more suited for that kind of thing anyway if you were to do a kind of in you'd get inside somebody's head in a movie then you'd have to do you know voiceovers and you yeah. know dream sequences and all that kind of stuff which uh people don't really like i don't really blame them yeah, um it's... It's, it's, and it's often not too... necessary. It's often often you end up with a lot of stuff that's just not not relevant. Yeah. Um, well, it's the show don't tell, isn't it? You know, the the movies are mm. good at showing because mm. you have to see it, you know, and you you have to listen to it. Um, <laughs> the thing that always annoys me, the, the editorial comment I hate is, um, you know, you, you've written this book and the editor says, you know, show don't they highlight a section and they say, Ross, show don't tell, show don't tell, which is insane because you have to tell it's a story you know you're telling a story you're not a show story shower you're a story teller <laughs> what they just want you to do is tell it in a different way um a less kind of explicit way but yeah, yeah so that's all to say is that yeah you know books are much and you know it people are so well, that is books a, that that is inside a people's heads common, common um i don't want to say mistake but, but of like people writing a script for the for the first time they'll just have too much dialogue <clears throat> yeah and not and not uh, enough sort of description of what's what's actually going on and, and, and you know, yeah so that's that's what you're saying i think oh it is yeah i mean in a movie yeah it's it's far easier and you know to actually show somebody holding a coffee instead of saying you're having a character say i'm gonna go get a coffee 
mm-hmm. then have him leave the room and have him come back holding a coffee and say, okay, I've got my coffee now. Let's, <laughs> let's do this. So you just, just have him, if it's going to be important, just have him holding coffee. So, and you know, that actually, you know, looking, thinking about fantastic beasts and thinking about infinity war again, it's like, uh, we had in in uh, Fantastic Beasts, she had to show everything that happened. Like it couldn't have just been referenced that Grindelwald broke out of prison. You had to see exactly how he did it and everything he did. And none of it made sense, by the way. But, you know, you had to show him locked up in prison and then you had to show him breaking out and then you had to see him escaping. Whereas in Infinity War, um, you you cut straight to uh, Thanos is on Thor's ship and most everybody is dead except for a, a few people. It's mm-hmm. like they they cut straight into the the middle of the of the action um, to pick up at the important part, which was a conversation between Thor and Thanos, uh, because you've got to set up those characters right at the beginning. That's the most important thing apart you know that's over the plot is you know setting up the characters. If we don't care about the people, we don't care about the story, we don't care about what happens. It's not going to be as emotionally effective as. Uh, you know, if, if we have, you know, if you don't take that time to do that. Um, plus, you know, also you find out through the movie that he's already destroyed another planet. Um, that you, so there's something that, you know, didn't, you didn't even see it happened. Um, so it's, it's even skipping an action and cutting into the second action yeah. um, that, okay, that drives so the movie. Before you get carried away with Marvel. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I could talk about Infinity War We all, all know you love Marvel. Um, <clears throat> what, what is it that you want or that you think uh, people who are doing NaNoWriMo should be taking away from from this this discussion about uh, yeah. character and plot. I, I I'm going to implore people not to pick one or the other, or or think of one mm. as being more important than the other. Um, or if you are, I think think of character as being more important. Um, I, I think we you know I know this from reading books about writing by you know attending you know so many creative writing classes. I think it's easier to teach plot, and so you hear plot mm. being taught a whole lot and it's harder to teach character it can be analyzed and structured exactly and, yeah. It's, yeah it's similar to the whole structure debate that mm-hmm. really yeah uh, because you you're you're taught to have your structure you know come, you've got this structure yeah. this is your structure now you have to think of a character arc to go on top of it so already you're putting the character secondary to the structure um and you've already got this fixed rigid structure which may not be appropriate for the story you're trying to tell anyway and you're trying to put some sort of character thing i i think it's yeah it's really a rod for your back i think you know again you know the the advice uh from the uh, act structure one was just you know really think logically about what your character needs or is going to do and what is going to happen to them uh, rather than trying to fit it into some sort of structure and yeah when it comes to thinking about plot and thinking about character just realize that they really do go hand in hand um, mm. I think if you are telling a, a type of story like an action story then it, it is okay to realize well the character is going to be a little bit more reactive you know we're not going to see a lot of development from them and that's but then okay. it's more important that you know what the, who the character is because that defines how he reacts or how he True. or she reacts right yeah exactly yeah so it's it's not that you know this it's not an important character just because they don't change very much um but you know just just be aware of that don't try to force something to happen that isn't going to happen naturally um and equally, if something is, is, you know, begging to happen that needs to happen, you know, don't not do it just because, you know, some writing instructor who's not read your story, you know, has written a book saying that you shouldn't do it. Um, because, yeah, I, the, the thing that's frustrating to me is that I, I see just the same stories being told over and over and over again in, you know, popular 
film. And uh, there, there are very few people who are taking chances in telling a different mm. story. Um, and I think, you know, I, I will criticize Marvel in saying that for, for a while they they did tell the same story over and over again. Um, you know, the you have this person who's, you know, really good at science and he makes this marvelous machine and then someone else comes in and uses the same machine for evil and then they have to fight. And, you know, I've just described Captain America. I've described Iron Man. I've described Ant-Man. <laughs> I've described a whole bunch of Marvel movies just right there. Um, yeah. So... But, I mean, I think the reason they got away with it is because the characters were different and we cared about the characters. We cared about Captain America in a different way than we mm. cared about Iron Man. We cared about yeah. Ant-Man in a different way than we cared about either of those two. So, mm. you know, I, again, I would say, you know, the plot is not the most important thing. Um, oh, wait, okay, hang on. I just said they're both equally important. I would, but no, I say that, you know, plot... Um, they're both very close in importance. They're very close you in importance. You can kind of but... make one a little bit more important than the other, depending on the project. But in general, <laughs> they're very, very close. <laughs> I would say I would say that character is important, but but a char- an important character doesn't mean that they they drive the story necessarily. Yeah, neither of them um, can be neglected. I think is what you're yeah. saying. I think yeah. we're humans. We we look for answers in in literature you know because we see other humans it, it they call it the mirror that you hold up to life you know and you know we we look to see ourselves in that mirror um so i, I think that you do have to think about the character um, but also just think about the story that you're telling and is that character appropriate is the plot appropriate and uh you know just who, who you're telling it for as well um because it, it is a is a you know huge complex multifaceted thing it's not just one story as uh, some people insist it, it is more complex than that more mm-hmm. varied than that so yeah we can leave it there um, yeah seems like a good time but uh yeah okay great well to find uh latest episodes of fiction hack um the best place to go is uh soundcloud or our website mm-hmm. which is fiction-hack.com yeah you can also follow us on facebook uh have you been putting much stuff on there i haven't <laughs> No, we'll we'll get some stuff up there. Um, yeah. We'll we'll basically link the episodes mostly. Um, there's there's not much we, yeah. If you if you go to Facebook for feed and information on that kind of stuff, then yeah, we'll we'll let you know about things. But yeah, either otherwise, go on SoundCloud. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow you at Colin underscore Monroe, um, and I'm at Ross Lawhead. And you can follow me on Instagram as well. And I've got a website. In addition to uh, doing the Fiction Hat notes, um, I also post on there occasionally. And uh, yeah, what else you got? Yeah, so as always, the music that we've used in the, at the beginning and end of this uh, podcast is from the Free Music Archive by a group called the Devlon Lamar Organ Trio. And the song that we like to use is called Between the Mustard and the Mayo. Sounds tasty. So, um, yeah, big thank you to them. It's a nice tune. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great. Okay, well, until next time, be excellent to each other.